Hey, hey. Okay, so you guys know that I've moved my platform over to Patreon, and that's patreon.com slash Jamie Glowacki. So everything is moved there. That's where I'm now housing all my parenting content. For a dollar a month, you can access all the episodes of my podcast, but no worries if you don't want to do any financial commitment at all. We'll continue to release selected episodes here on your favorite listening platform. And just so you know, I also put up free public posts and mini podcasts on that Patreon page. So all you have to do is head over to that main page, patreon.com slash Jamie Glowacki, and you can see my free public posts and mini podcasts. Head over there to check it all out. And now on to today's show. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki, and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey guys, so today I have a very special guest, Sarah Smith, and her website is www.sarahsmithstrength.com, and she is a pelvic floor rehab specialist. I'll let her introduce herself. She might have a better title, but I know we've done pelvic floor for kids on the podcast, and we know the importance of pelvic floor, but I wanted to have Sarah on because she has unorthodox views and has had a pelvic floor prolapse, and she goes about rehabbing to me, scouring her website through kettlebells and breath, which is infinitely better than Kegels or Kegels, however you like to say it. So without further ado, Sarah, would you like to introduce yourself? Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm honored to be here. And, you know, I mostly just consider myself a strength coach and an educator for women. My goal is really to help women to discover their inner strength, both physical and spiritual, and their innate wisdom. Because I think we have so much innate wisdom about the body and we lose that. The culture and athletics and things that we're told all the time about how our bodies function muddles what we know and what we actually feel. So a lot of what I help women do is just find their strength and get them you know, more into their body. And the people that realize they need this oftentimes are postpartum women that are struggling with pelvic floor issues. And when I say postpartum, I mean anyone from like, I just had a baby and I'm 24 to I had a baby two, three decades ago and I'm in my mid 60s, you know? So, like anyone that's ever had a baby. And it's oftentimes because of the changes, the things that happen in motherhood and in postpartum and in the sacrifices that we make to raise our children and we're busy that we discover we're not as in touch and in tune with our bodies. And oftentimes that goes hand in hand with pelvic floor dysfunction. Any kind of pelvic floor issues, as you see, it negatively impacts quality of life, right? And so women go searching for different kinds of solutions. Well, not everyone does. A lot of women accept it as normal. Like, oh, I pee my pants or, oh, like my bladder is falling out of my vagina. You know, like that's normal. <laughs> I'm a mom, you know? And it's like, it's not, I mean, it happens, but like we can do better than that, you know? And so they go looking for answers. And I really just think what it comes down to is strength and resilience and belief in your own wisdom to navigate what your body is telling you and what it needs. So that's pretty much what I do. That's awesome. So now you had a pelvic floor prolapse. Is that your bladder coming out of your vagina? So basically I have, there's pelvic organ prolapse and any of your organs can prolapse. And really it just means that the organs move out of place. And there's various degrees of that you can just have one organ move out of place. So mine was my bladder, which is referred to as a cystocele. You can have your urethra, which is where the urine actually comes out. That can move downward. You can have the uterus prolapse. This is the thing that I think most commonly we hear about a lot of times. 
And then you can also have the rectum. The rectum can prolapse against the vaginal wall and that's called a rectocele, or it can start to come out the anus or just start to put pressure on the anus. And that would be like rectal prolapse. And we'll see like weightlifters sometimes that are lifting way too much for their body will experience a rectal prolapse. So I see that I, in my potty training work. I, and oh, do you? Kids, yeah, kids who have rectal, yeah, it comes all the way out. And the parents are like, what the hell? <laughs> oh my gosh, that must be so like disconcerting for everyone involved. Yeah, so I realized shortly after the birth of my third son in 2015 that I had prolapse of the bladder. And as you may have guessed, I was prescribed kegels, all of the different kinds of kegels you could do. Fast kegels, slow kegels, long kegels. And I did them and they made me feel worse. So we can talk about that. But yeah, so that's pretty much pelvic organ prolapse. But, you know, as you know, people have all different kinds of issues with the pelvic floor. They can have a pelvic floor that they just can't connect to. So they can't control it. And then that means like it doesn't relax appropriately when it's time to urinate or when it's trying to eliminate stool or it doesn't create the support that it needs to help the bladder not to be relaxed all the time so that, you know, pee can be dripping out. Same thing goes with stool. And then there are people that overuse the pelvic floor where they're constantly creating tension, often in the core, in the abdominals and in the pelvis, and it's too tight. And so then that can negatively impact your organs and normal elimination things, sex, just how you feel in your body in general. Now, when you say a tightening in the core, is that like as basic as like sucking in your stomach to feel yeah. better about yourself? Or is there some sort of process that you're not even aware of? There's sucking in your stomach. And then there's also overusing some muscle groups while not activating or using other ones. So for example, like rectus abdominis, which is the muscles right in the middle that we see like a washboard stomach, right? Mm-hmm. The six pack. A lot of people use rectus to move and support their body as they move. And so they're going to overuse those muscles, but deep underneath rectus is your transversus abdominis, Mm -hmm. which is in direct communication with your pelvic floor. And that actually is part of your core stability team. It's designed to help create stability. Rectus is really to help you move. But a lot of times, you know, I think because of stress and different airway issues, movement, things that happen in athletics and whatever, we teach our bodies to use muscles that help us to cope and to keep going, but they're not functioning the way that they should be in relationship to the body. They're overworking in some areas and doing jobs that they shouldn't be doing. So yeah. So creating like too much work in certain muscles and a lot of tension and just like, they're not moving through their full ranges of motion. They're not fully relaxing. So so it's not something you necessarily are do like, like it's not being tense. It can be being tense. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Totally. can be that too. It can also be just like living in fight or flight and not really breathing and using all your breathing mechanics. So you do, you're not getting air, you're not getting circulation, you're not getting movement to those muscles. And so, yes, they can begin to feel tense to the extent that some people, and I don't know if this happens with kids, to even touch their diaphragm or to put their hands on their core, it can be painful sometimes because there's so much restriction in there. Interesting, you guys. Did you hear that? If you're constantly in fight or flight, what are fight or flight trauma stress responses? Do your shit, do your personal work. That's all I preach on this podcast. <laughs> work through your trauma. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. No, that's interesting. And, and so, Sarah, let me tell you a quick story. My audience knows this. So August 14th, I was in a Spartan race. I'm an obstacle course racer. I used to be mm. a circus performer and I completed the obstacle, but I then fell wrong and I blew out everything in my knee, my ACL, my LCL, my MCL, my lateral and medial, medial meniscus. And the ortho told me that I would never do a Spartan race again unless I got the surgery. And I told him to hold my beer because I am grouchy about doctors. And I said, watch me. (laughs) (laughs) 
funny enough, I got in the car going home from the race and um, I was listening to Joe Rogan and he had just had this guest on and the guy said, oh, my knees are bothering me. And he said, you got to check out this guy, knees over toe guy. Knees over toes. Yeah. <laughs> and he, just, he just interviewed Ben Patrick, who I, I love. So I, I got home, I raced it for three days. And then I said, okay, movement. I'm 53. I was like, you move this shit or you lose this shit. So mm-hmm. I started climbing my stairs, walking. I was doing like an hour mile. It was crazy, but I just kept moving it. And I kept doing knees over toe. And what it does, it trains your tibialis, your soleus, all your other muscles besides your knee. So what you're saying, so I can parallel this to my audience is my knee is fine. My knee is fine. I'm jumping, I'm doing box squats. I'm doing lateral motions. I'm, uh, my knee is fine. I haven't had the surgery, but I built up all the other muscles. And what I started to realize is, holy shit, we put everything into our knees because all these other muscles are weak. Our feet we're not moving our feet. They're caged in hard shoes all day, right up the food chain, like right up the body. And then I said, well, that's why everybody's blowing out their knees because we're putting way too much pressure. So now when I do side lunges, I was like, I'm not using my knee at all. It looks like I am because I'm bending it, but I'm using all these other muscles. So that's what I'm thinking when you say, like, we're not using the full range. We're just relying on like, say your abs. Now let's talk really quick about abs because I am a huge person for kids, but even for you adults, this is for you mamas. When I say abs, people think abs. And I literally had to write in my kid's book, do not put your kids on an ab routine when I say they need a strong core. So talk Mm -hmm. to us more about the core because we tend to think of those abs, that washboard stomach, that's it, that's abs, right? But when we're talking about strengthening our pelvic floor, that's not what we're talking about, right? Right. Well, the best way to strengthen the core is through breath work because your core strength really comes from the ability to manage pressure. So you create pressure in the body when you inhale, because you inhale and you try and expand your abdomen as, you know, as much as you can, but then it it comes up against resistance, right? Because you, you have muscles and that tension that is created, that pushback creates stability in the body. And so having really good proper inhales where our diaphragm moves down and moves through its full range of motion to increase the pressure in, if you think about like a balloon, if you push up against the balloon, right. And you get pressure and you get stability there. It's the same thing. When your diaphragm pushes down, it creates stability in the core. Your pelvic floor has to relax a little to allow for this movement. And then you're also engaging when you exhale, your transversus abdominis, which is your deep core muscles. These pieces all work together with also the multifidi muscles of the spine to create stability in your trunk. So whether you're jogging, whether you're reaching overhead, whatever it is that you're doing, your torso is stable so that all the other pieces move. And people get confused because they think about, you know, obliques and rectus, like the ab muscles that we see if somebody is lean enough that we can see that and those muscles are built up enough as the ones that are giving all of us our strength, but those are the outer core. I heard somebody describe it once as a, as a Pringles can and a Crisco can. And everyone's always talking about, look at that. Yeah. I love it. Like everyone's often talking about the Crisco can and what the Crisco can looks like and fixating on that. But really we need to make sure that we have the Pringles can operating. And there's this elevator piston phenomenon there where like diaphragm and pelvic floor have to move up and down and transversus has to move out and come in And when those systems are working really well, then you just naturally have stability. You don't have to think about it because you're just doing it with your breath and it should be automatic. Your pelvic floor turns on automatically before you strike your heel when you're running, before you lift your shoulder overhead. And so training this automated system through breath is really good. And then all the other stuff is kind of fancy on top of that, but that's your core. 
That's interesting because I know so many athletes who like never hurt themselves in their sport and then they like reach for the soap in the shower and they're like, I threw out my back. <laughs> to everyone I know. And that's happened to me too, you know, because I I've done athletic things for a really long time and then I got prolapse and I'm like, well, wait a minute, I'm thin. I'm supposed to be strong. Everything was tight and tense, you know, but again, it comes down to that piece where like, like you're saying all these muscles work in the context of being surrounded by all these other muscles. It's not for the pelvic floor to just single-handedly stabilize everything. It's working right. in conjunction with my thoracic diaphragm, with the transversus abdominis, with the muscles in my spine. And oftentimes when we see pelvic floor issues coming up, we have to look and be like, well, what else around the pelvic floor is not helping it? Is it really that the pelvic floor is weak or is the pelvic floor just not able to do its job because it's trying to do everything? And the pelvic floor is kind of like a, a hammock, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it, a, it has to move in conjunction with. It does. And it's really like, you know, people say floor and we think like floor, like concrete sturdy. And so many wow. people are thinking it needs to be tight. It needs to be strong. It needs to be lifted, but it, it is a supple responsive hammock and it needs to be able to respond. It needs to relax and come downward to accommodate that increase in pressure that happens when you inhale. And it also needs to lift and to support and engage when you want to lift something heavy, when you're laughing, you know, these kinds of things that help to give stability, but you're just as stable when it's relaxing as when it's tense, providing you have good breathing mechanics. That's amazing. I like the supple. I just had a whole visualization yeah. of like, oh, okay, keep it supple. So why aren't kegels good? Do they just strengthen the vagina? Like, why don't they... That seems well, like Yeah. I think that they are a problem and they create problems for people for a lot of reasons. Number one is a lot of people are, are walking around with already a lot of tension in their pelvic floor. They're already overusing and over recruiting it. So if you have a muscle group that's already overly tense and then you keep pulling on it, right? And mm -hmm. you're like, be tighter, be tighter. You can actually stretch the muscles, right? And you're not going to necessarily get anything good from it. You can create inflammation and tension in the body. In fact, a lot of times when people have like, a lot of bladder issues. It's because they have an over-recruited pelvic floor. And then somebody said, you're leaking because your pelvic floor is weak. Go do a bunch of Kegels. And then they make it worse. The other thing is like, you know, we want to use muscles in the best way, right? If your body, like think about your pelvis. If you see a lot of women coming out of pregnancy, we have this big belly that's pulling us forward and our pelvis is kind of dipping forward, mm -hmm. right? If we don't do the work to correct that, to get back, to get our pelvis back underneath us, to strengthen our core connection, right? Then what we're doing is the pelvis isn't even in the right position. And therefore the muscles are oriented in a slightly different way. And so then now we're trying to train the muscles to get tighter and we just keep squeezing them, squeezing them. But like, they're not necessarily in the position where they're supposed to be doing that, right? You don't have really necessarily good neutral right, alignment. Right, right. So like, you know, if you have a shoulder that's kind of dislocated or you have a lot of internal rotation and you're like trying to train your biceps and you keep doing lots of biceps curls, right? But the shoulder is in a bad situation in the first place, then you're going to overtrain, overuse, you have problems, but you're going to create problems in other areas. And I think about that with Kegels all the time, because it's like, if somebody doesn't have good posture and alignment, and they're not allowing their pelvic floor to fully relax so that it can recruit and do its job, then why would just squeezing it over and over and over again help anything? It's only going to make things worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So breath work. I know that like with Kegels, so back when I was like 21, we, I worked in a restaurant and we would try to do our Kegels while waiting on people and see, and it was like a contest. So like nobody could see it on our faces. I have never heard of anyone say that. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> but I remember like you really had to suck in. So it was like, it's like the antithesis. We were doing everything wrong. Right. right. 
Um, I want to get back to the breath, but how would you know what I hear out in the community and and from clients and and such is the pee problem, right? So can we just bust through a couple of myths? Like, first, I think after having a, can, shouldn't we all just pee on the trampoline or is that indicative of a pelvic floor? I mean, I think that it's very common that that happens. Yeah. And I mean, depending on how much water is like how much fluid is in your bladder and also caffeine intake caffeine intake really yes. impacts the behavior of the bladder you know so if you if you're a caffeinator like you do have an overactive bladder in my experience oxalates too in the diet i don't know if you guys talk about that yeah so that can be it too um and you know but it doesn't mean if you pee on the trampoline it doesn't mean that your pelvic floor is weak it could oftentimes what it usually means in my experience is that there isn't as good connection in the body and people need to train to get their pelvis, their actual pelvis more underneath their body so that the diaphragm, you know, which is right at the base of your rib cage is moving with the pelvic floor and they're communicating. It's amazing to me how much you can solve with incontinence and also symptoms of prolapse just by getting people oriented so that their rib cage is directly over their pelvis. So then now you have the thoracic diaphragm up top talking to the pelvic floor and you manage pressure together. So you're jumping on the trampoline and you're breathing, but you're creating stability because you're really getting good breaths and these two muscles are moving together. And so then like it usually decreases the likelihood. In fact, I've had lots of women that I've trained just to breathe. Literally, they've done nothing but breathing, jumped on the trampoline, no peeing. Yeah. I was also being an asshole show off, like jumping straight up and down was fine, but I used to be in the circus. So I would be doing like splits and I do like a huge straddle split and literally like pee my pants. And I was like, and now I have to get off the trampoline. <laughs> I, I bet, especially since you're so you're keen and interested in like breath work type stuff. I bet if you just trained and were mindful of how you were breathing, when you did that movement, probably you didn't have to think about that when you were like in your early twenties, right, right. think about it. I bet that would make a difference, you know? Right. So, but what other signs can we as women, how would you know that you needed some pelvic floor help? If say you weren't leaking, say you weren't peeing, what are some other signs that women could? Oh yeah, there's tons of them. So chronic low back pain, chronic constipation, you've tried all the things you've looked at your diet and that's not what it is. Tailbone pain, discomfort in sex, just being like, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good. It's not enjoyable inability. Let me stop you one second. One disturbing statistic is that 75% of the women polled in the United States defined good sex as not painful guys. That's distressing. That is not the definition of good sex. It should not be painful ever. So Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. So why are we settling? Awesome. Stop. (laughs) Yeah. I find it so crazy in a culture that seems to be so obsessed with sex that like 70% of women would settle for that. I'm just like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, no, 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 no. Yeah. And that comes down to so many things. It might not just be pelvic floor issues, but like better communication between partners and better lubrication. People really, really, really don't understand like how important lubrication is for good sex. Like, oh, it's, it's gotta happen. Like either organically or artificially, I don't care. But like a lot of women, they are like, oh, you know, with prolapse, because your organs are out of place for a lot of people that are working on it to get a better lift you know, sex can be uncomfortable because depending on the angle of intercourse, you know, you could be having, you know, your bladder can be being bumped or whatever, your mm-hmm. rectum and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And that's definitely an instance where, you know, you got to talk about positions of communication, but lubrication makes a huge difference. So yeah, for sure. I also have a rotating uterus. So about once a yeah. month it's real low. Yeah. And so it can yeah. be a little painful, but I know it's coming. Do you do abdominal massage, mind massage? I don't. 
So one of my favorite things about pelvic floor stuff is that a lot of it is bottom up centric. It's actually pelvic organ stuff is looking from the bottom. It's looking through the lens of like, we're looking through the pelvic floor. The pelvic floor must be weak. It must be that. But like, what about all the stuff that's above, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what can we be doing? It's obviously like, it's not just what's happening below. We think because the organs are coming down or the pee is coming out or the sex is uncomfortable and things like that, that it's all about what's underneath. But like, what about what's going on? Right. And so one of the best things with breath work is to increase how much expansion you get in the thorax, because the more space there is in your thoracic cavity, there's less downward pressure. There's more room. Mm. for Right. So that alone can help people to get lift and help them to have like less incontinence issues because they don't have all this pressure on their bladder pushing out. But then the other thing that's cool is abdominal massage, your uterus and all your pelvic organs are held in place by ligaments. There's uterosacral ligaments. There's multiple different ligaments that hold your organs from the top and the side. And by doing abdominal massage and increasing blood flow and circulation and helping to increase drainage of lymph, you can have better support, better position, you know, more stability in the position of the uterus. I would be very curious to see if if the Maya massage would make a difference with that. Because you're I'm literally not, massaging. I'm not getting any right now, so yeah. Well, no, you do it. Your, no, you do it yourself. Oh, you're not I getting any. <laughs> no, um, you do the massage yourself. The, the beauty of the Maya yeah, massage yeah. is that like women learn it, and then they, women teach it to each other. Oh, that's cool. So you just I never feel it except if I'm having sex yeah. during a certain part of my cycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that's interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. Now, and it's so interesting because I I come from a performance background. I was trained, I was operatically trained from when you start voice lessons to like a year or two in, you actually go up a bra size. So I was like a 32 and I went up to a 36 because you just start to increase that and your rib cage actually like feels bigger. All right. Breath work. So Guys, you got to go to her site. All her blog posts are phenomenal. Like I was like, I literally want to go through every single blog post, but you have one on the power of breath. And I've often talked, everybody knows I'm really into cold plunging and I was into Wim Hof breathing, but now I'm just doing a more feminine breathing. I'm just like, you're not going to die. Stop being a baby. And I'm really into James Nestor. He wrote a book called Breath and he has discovered all this stuff about how we've become mouth breathers and it's changed the shape of our mouth and why we have orthodontic problems now. And then I just started recently mouth taping at night. So you literally tape your mouth loosely, like you're not a kidnap victim. And it changed the quality of my sleep, like unbelievably. So what do you recommend when you get somebody and you're like, let's start with your breath. What breath practices do you utilize? Yeah. So the two or the things that I think are the, I come across the most that are the biggest rocks to people is number one is getting your tongue to rest on the roof of your mouth. And some people have limitations because their palate didn't develop, but a lot of people can actually train their tongue. If their tongue isn't naturally resting on the roof of their mouth, whenever they're not talking or eating, then that's something that we work on. Having the tongue on the roof of your mouth opens your nasal cavity. It actually immediately communicates with your diaphragm and helps you to have better posture. You have better stability in the pelvis simply by having your tongue pressed on the roof of your mouth. So we do roof on the mouth and then that encourages nasal breathing. And I like to do a lot of like close one nostril on each side. I don't know if James Nestor talks about that in his book, but it's interesting because I think for people that are career mouth breathers, nasal breathing feels weird and it's hard to make happen. And a lot of people, when they train breathing, they feel like they can't get a full breath. So they're anxious, right? So I find like just closing one nostril and it just slowing down the breath really helps them to get intentional about nasal breathing. And then we also like to, I like to get on all fours and help people to just 
sigh out all the tension that's in their belly. Because, you know, as we already talked about, a lot of people are walking around with tension. They're sucking in. They've been told that they're not supposed to have squishy bellies. They're wearing really tight pants. They deal with tension and stress and trauma by internalizing it both in the gut and in the pelvis. And so like learning to let that go is going to help because that's going to make more space for the diaphragm to move down into the abdominal cavity, you know? So those are our focuses primarily. And then we go from there and we breathe in all different positions. We breathe for stability. We breathe for safety and calm. And again, like I already said before, sometimes just expansion and with the breath and getting out of that fight or flight, people don't realize when they're in fight or flight that they're changing their biochemistry. You literally become more acidic. There's more acid in your blood and in your muscles. And so everything feels more tense and is more twitchy and even pain is increased, you know? So simply just getting out of that fight or flight breath and creating expansion in the body makes a huge difference alone for pelvic floor issues. And then you're also in a more teachable state. So if we have things we need to change movement or mindset, now you're going to be way more open to learning because you've calmed the heck down. (laughs) Well, and we're also constantly looking to regulate the parent because when you have a dysregulated kid, I've done several podcasts on this about the problem with this quote unquote gentle parenting that's a sweeping trend right now is that you got a dysregulated parent thinking they can co-regulate with a dysregulated kid. And so we always are looking for those pauses. How did I get so activated? Can I take some space? Where can I get that breath? So I, the parent can be calm and receive and and take information and thus be there for my child because I got too many dysregulated parents trying to co-regulate with a dysregulated kid. And I'm like, y'all just just giving them your chaos. You're not giving them your calm, you know? Yeah, and that creates so much anxiety for the kid too because it's like, who's in charge? Yeah, 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 exactly. Or it like scares them. Like, so we had a blizzard and I got stuck. My truck was stuck and I kept trying to like pull it out and there was snow everywhere and my dog would not get in the car. He's a little puppy. And I just, I was so scared. And I was like, I don't know where you are. You need to get in the car. And I yelled at him. He took off. He was like, I'm not listening to you anymore. You're crazy. And he is the best dog. He comes right when I call him. He really was like scared of me. And I was like, holy shit, we can't do this to our kids. (laughs) So yeah. Okay. So so Sarah is a fan of infrared sauna Mm -hmm. and red light therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to say a bit about that? I just had Dr. Brimka on and it's all the rage with my people. Everybody's like, I'm buying a sauna. I got like, what did you notice in your body? Oh man, I noticed that immediately my sleep improved dramatically. I'm almost never sore from workouts because I often sauna after I do a workout and the strenuousness of the workouts didn't change. It's just my recovery improved. But one of the biggest things I noticed was that my gut health issues went away. I went in my sauna every day, like no, five days a week for like a year. And I just stopped having the digestive issues that I had been having for a really long time. Wow. And do gut issues contribute to pelvic floor issues? Yes. Oh, they absolutely can. Because when you have a gut, so if you have an imbalanced microbiome, I think for me, based on my testing, like I had high levels of candida and candida complexes with heavy metals. And so I just think I had biofilms with heavy metals and candida, and I knew I had had some parasites and the sauna is great because it's a gentle detox. So it's not ripping open biofilms and having like all these toxins all over the place. I've done protocols like that and they're kind of a nightmare. So gentle detoxification. So an increase in the balance of the what's living in your gut, right? Your gut microbiome is more balanced. You can extract better nutrition from your food. So you have better building blocks for all your tissues. Also inflammation is dramatically reduced too. And, and we see like if people have inflammation issues, then they often have pelvic floor 
pain, pelvic pain of all different varieties and prolapse feels worse too. So just, you know, getting your gut health ducks in a row, I think makes a huge difference for any kinds of pelvic floor issues whatsoever. And it's also going to help you to poop more routinely, which is going to get toxins and old expired hormones out. Also, when you have pelvic floor issues, you don't want to be straining, right? You don't want to be pushing down on the pelvic floor, especially if you have prolapse. So yeah, so it helps with all those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I feel like inflammation and gut bacteria are two like buzzwords that people don't look too far into and that things like sauna and red light can really boost those. Yeah. And I think it's hard because it's intimidating. A lot of times when you find out you have a gut health issue, the way forward seems like thousands and thousands of dollars of testing and supplements and and all these dietary changes. And, And there's a place for all of those things, but I was just so pleasantly surprised at how just having a routine habit, my diet was good. You know, my diet, I felt like was really balanced, but having the routine habit of just detoxing through the sauna mm-hmm. and supporting my body, like my liver functioned better and my gut was functioning better in elimination and my food tolerance and how I felt in general, just dramatically improved. And I knew, I knew it was a sauna. So I'm a lover of the sauna. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I'm also like fast every once in a while with some bone broth and getting the sauna, <laughs> like, you know, like, it's just amazing. I don't do it all the time, but it, you can feel like your body reset. Like we take yeah. in that whole, like you got to eat every couple of hours. Like you're just yeah. never resting, you know? Yeah, no, I always do at least a 12, sometimes a 15 hour overnight fast, but I haven't done too much fasting, but I have just recently dipped my toes in the water of cold plunge, no pun intended. And those are really cool. Are you doing them at home or do you go somewhere? I do them at home. I mean, right now we literally got three feet of snow. So I'm going to hold off with outside for the moment. So I fill my tub, but my tub, I live in a tiny stone cottage. So my tub is like a half size. Yeah, I'm really short and I can't put my legs straight out. So I kind of have to do this. Like, it's not only that you're cold plunging, but then you got to like, I got to slide down. So my legs are out of the water to go underwater. So it's extra painful, <laughs> but um, oh, yeah. it's moved the dial a lot. It's really moved the dial that in the sauna and the red light. I just sleep so well. And because of my schedule, like the last four days, I haven't done it. And I just can tell in my sleep and more yeah. and more, like, it seems like we kind of follow the same people and, and trajectory and philosophies. And And I try to drill this home to you guys listening, sleep, 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 sleep. Like once my sleep is so good, everything else falls into line, everything. So I've just been really trying to be brutal about how can I get the best sleep? And it's, it's a workout, the sauna and the day together, and then the cold plunge. That's great. I totally agree with you. And I'm kind of selfish. It's like a altered state. Like I get high without any drugs or anything. I'm high for about two hours after the, the cold plunge. Are you? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Other people have said that to me. I didn't feel like that so much, but I'm maybe that will come. But I, I felt, you know what? I felt my circulation was so much better. And so that was cool. I, I don't know. I did feel good. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Do you do mouth but taping? I do. Oh yeah. I've yeah. been doing mouth taping for years. Yeah. Yeah. You guys, I highly suggest I listened to it and I felt like it was really good. James Nestor breathe, right? That's the name of breathe. I think it's breath. Breath. breath? Okay. And he talks all about just being a mouth breather and how that contributes to so much disease. And I, it's funny because I've told people I mouth tape and they go, Oh, I can't, I have sinus troubles. And I was like, and I think you should, like, I think that's something you want to fix. And one thing we talk about here that I'm sure you'll back me up on is it's not normal, you guys. When you say, oh, I'm hyperglycemic, I can't go without food. You got to fix that. That's not normal. Or I don't sleep at night. That's not normal. You know what I mean? Like we've come to accept this level of sickness as, oh, well, that's it. You just, 
I had a baby. I pee. I know. And I think a lot of times people, they get caught in this trap of almost finding their identity in this illness and just kind of locking themselves into like, that's the story. And if you keep telling yourself, that's the story of how your body works or who you are and how you do things, you're going to stay there, but you're limiting so much. And and like you're saying, these are not good things. These have negative impacts for so much like hormones, um, your body's ability to fight cancer, keeping you from developing autoimmune disease and just enjoying your life, like being able to move and, and have energy and to live your life and even make good decisions about what you do in relationships or what you eat, all that stuff. Like you need sleep to do that. You're not going to be making really good decisions in life. If you're like barely slept. No, no, no. <laughs> My worst decisions have been made when I yeah, haven't slept. Same, same. Hey, talk to me about why modern moms are depleted. I mean, we could probably write an entire encyclopedia volume on why modern moms are depleted, but coming at it from nutritionally body in inner. Well, I think there's a few different things. I think modern moms put a ton of expectations on themselves to just be able to continue to do life normal, even once they have kids in tow. I think we're very isolated and we don't have the community support, even for women that have a lot of friends, they can be in these situations where it's like kind of keeping up with the Joneses type thing, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily like we're rallying around each other in support. And then add to that, the fact that like our soils are nutrient deplete. So our foods are nutrient deplete. Even if you eat the perfect diet, there's probably some kind of minerals or some kind of supplement that you need to be adding to your food, because quite frankly, the food is just not that great anymore. Even organic stuff, you know, if the soils don't have it, then the food doesn't have it, you know? And then add to that, that women are exhausted. They're tired. They're trying to do it all. We see Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, all this pressure to look a certain way and have our homes look a certain way and have our kids perform and look a certain way. And I think women are just burnt out. And the interesting thing about pelvic organ prolapse is, you know, it's a big focus of my work. It's actually in traditional Chinese medicine, prolapse is a sinking. And so they've been treating prolapse since the Yin dynasty. And it's not just pelvic organs that can prolapse. Any organ in the body can prolapse, which means it falls out of place. And it's because of an emotional and a physical sinking. And I just see that. I see that in women emotionally and physically sinking, trying to do it all and missing some of the basic blocks of like, you got to have breath work. You have to have a breath practice. You have to have some community, some good friends. And I know there's work involved in that. It's worth investing in, maybe spending a little less time scrolling and looking at like what everyone else is doing and trying to connect with people. Even if it's online, it could be an online community, but connect with people that really love you for who you are and respect your truth and are going to be there for you in a meaningful way that you can say, I'm struggling. Help. Can you bring me soup? I'm not feeding myself. I'm like, you know, busy yeah, yeah, yeah. and stuff like that, you know, and then really paying attention to the diet. Like you mentioned broths. I love broths. That's one of my go-to thing. It's like sipping on broth is a way to get a lot of highly digestible nutrients and minerals to help your body re-knit and repair itself after childbirth. And it's never too late to do that. I don't care if you're 10 years out, you can still start to do that because your body will use the amino acids in the broth to help you to build better tissue. So, so yeah, I mean, it's a complex conversation, but it's deplete women I see that are having pelvic floor issues primarily. And it's connected to the fact that they're living in fight or flight. They feel alone. They're trying to do too much and they're not nourishing their body. So they're sinking. Yeah. 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 I talk a lot about that and like looking at like the bioavailability of certain foods, you know, like spinach is touted for, you know, it's iron, but it's so much of it's not bioavailable. 
you know, that's a and super it, high oxalate oxalates. Too. And it's so funny because yeah. I was just going to do a podcast on oxalates. And I was like, I don't know if they want to hear about it, but now I'll, I'll talk about that separately. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a vicious oxalate dumping. And so now I'm like, I literally had crystals coming out of my eyes. I had visible plaque on my teeth. So built up. It looked, I looked like I had been in the forest my whole life and never touched my teeth. My dental hygienist said, what is going on? And I was like, it's called oxalate dumping. She had to look it up. They made appointments for me every three weeks. It was awful. And then I had the rash. And so now I'm like, oh, you got to watch the oxalates. But you guys, I'll do a separate podcast on that because I'm, I'm knowledgeable about it. You know, there's so much push for plant-based right now and that just so much of the vegetables come from depleted soil. So you're not nearly getting the nutrients. So there's been this like crazy misinformation, I feel like, about how much the body actually absorbs from those, you know? It's not as digestible and easy to assimilate as animal protein. I mean, I am like team 100,000% animal protein over here, particularly for new moms. It's like you want to repair fascia, sinew, tendons, muscle, you're going to eat that stuff, you know, like, so eat it, eat it as a broth, slow cook it, you know, make it as highly digestible as possible and just feed yourself like nutrient dense foods. Yes. Some vegetables are nutrient dense, but your best bang for your buck is going to be like liver, ribeye, eggs, salmon, really good butter, raw milk. Yeah. 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 Oh, you guys and bone broth. If you don't know bone broth, super easy to make. You can go to your butcher and sometimes get them for free. Although now that bone broth has ticked up, they're not free (laughs) anymore, but um, you can just boil them. If you have an Instapot, there's a bone broth feature. So it's super easy to make your own. I don't want to keep you too long, but I want to address one last thing that I think we'll close out with. And this was a blog post entitled unfollow accounts that make you feel like you're not doing enough. Just talk to that. I think we all know that, but talk to us about your experience. (laughs) Yeah. Well, like I mentioned with, you know, Facebook and Pinterest and Instagram, like these are wonderful tools that help us to feel connected. They give us interesting information. They help us find podcasts like your podcast, my show that has a lot of good information to support women. But unfortunately, there's a lot of pressure that comes with them too, right? A lot of things that we see the edited highlight version of people or not even that. Some people I know, they're really, really good at making everything in their house match and look beautiful. Their kids look great, whatever, but there's probably something else that they're not doing that I'm nailing. And if I'm always looking at my social media and be like, oh, she's looking perfect again. Look how great her house is. Oh, her kids have these amazing outfits. I wish I could afford that feeling crappy about myself. It doesn't mean that that person's a bad person. It doesn't mean that they're better than everything than you. It just means that there's something maybe that you're a little insecure in, or you've decided you've put on a pedestal and like you've attributed value to that's making you feel bad right now. And it's okay to just take that stuff out of your newsfeed. You know, it doesn't mean you're threatened by them. It doesn't mean that they're bad. It's just like unfollow things, get things out of your line of vision, especially when you're struggling. If you don't have the ability to be discerning and be like, oh, that's okay. That's not about me. I shouldn't feel pressure to do that. Just remove it for now because there's enough going on. And you know, if it creates stress and you're pushing yourself into fight or flight because of things you're seeing on social media without even attributing judgment to it, oh, this is bad. This is good. If it doesn't work for you right now, unfollow, get it out. Yeah. And here's the thing, you guys, there's a couple of things. I just got rid of my personal Facebook too. So for me, I don't feel bad. Here's me. Oh my God, you're so stupid. That is so not, that's the wrong information. How can you be saying that? I don't have to yell at my phone. Like I can just not follow. And you can mess with your own algorithm. Like right now I wanted a tibialis weight bar. 
I just talk into my phone because it's spying on me. And my whole Instagram newsfeed is exercise equipment. And I'm like, thank you. And then I'll follow people. I'll follow people. Like if I want to do pelvic floor stuff, I'll just keep following at pelvic floor, you know, and I get a, you can play with your own algorithm. So yeah, I think that's wise advice because we don't need any more on our plate. I don't think people really realize like all that stuff is artificial. Like, you know, I mean, I grew up, I was born in 1980. Like I didn't grow up with the internet and social media the way that it is now. And it's like, it wasn't a part of life for a really long time. We can still take it out. If it's making us feel bad, take it out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the people who want you will find you. That's what I found about Facebook. I just ditched January 1st. I just ditched. And then people are like, wait, are you off Facebook? Yep. If you didn't have my phone number before, you don't need it now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, life is too short and time is too precious. Over the past couple of years, you know, people have been fighting a lot about health and nutrition and what works and what doesn't and what's happening and what isn't. I'm like, stop throwing your energy towards all this negativity and conflict all the time. How are you sleeping? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point too, because I feel like what's mucking women up with nutrition and exercise, and I'm the same way, is like, I know I feel best animal-based. I know this, but I also know that like when I was a circus performer, the best way I was in shape was like typical bodybuilding nutrition. So like more like zone macros, but you got to eat every two hours. I don't feel good. Like, so I constantly like, should I do this? Should I do this? Should I do this? Should I do this? And then finally it's like, shut everybody up and just listen to your body. And I've had the best couple of months just doing that, you know? And so I think it can muck you up of like, what's the right thing to do? That's that innate wisdom piece too. I really think our bodies talk to us. I think when I get with women and they're having issues and I talk about like, what I'm seeing is that this will be helpful. And they're like, yeah, they kind of know it, you know? And I think that it comes down to food too. It's just like, you know, what makes you feel good and what doesn't, right? So go with that. Don't worry if like whether your favorite influencer is eating that way either. You know, I know lots of people in health and fitness that have done extreme diets or certain ways of eating. They've backpedaled it over the years or you find out later they have like adrenal fatigue or gut issues. It's just like, you can't put too much stock in what you see on the screen. You've got to get more into your own wisdom, listen to your gut, no pun intended, and trust, you know, and experiment a little bit too, you know? And I think there's a reason that phrase came around, listen to your gut. Your gut is connected to your brain, to your heart, to all everything. So, and very lastly, before I let you go, are you a kettlebell coach? Yeah. So I'm a certified kettlebell instructor. I've done all the RKC trainings, level one and level two. And I do, I use that a lot in my work. I use strength training to help women overcome pelvic floor issues, because again, it's about training alignment, training stability and helping them feel strong and capable again. That goes a really Mm -hmm. long way with women, especially postpartum. A lot of women feel disconnected from their bodies and they just want to feel good. They want to be able to do hard things. So we're all about doing hard things mm-hmm. in my programs, even when you have prolapse, like we figure out a way to do hard things. So kettlebells, yes, I use kettlebells a lot, sandbags, sleds. I pull a tire in my driveway and I, I have a sled. I have a sled. Yeah. 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 Aren't they awesome? I love sleds. Yeah. I love, well, I like doing hard things. I think we need to manufacture obstacles because we don't have enough of them. So (laughs) to do really hard things. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But I wanted to tell you guys, I know you don't have a lot of time and working out can be a challenge with little kids. Listen to me. I have a kettlebell that sits in the middle of my floor and I go buy it. And every time I do 20 swings, kettlebells are awesome, but I have to tell you, get Sarah, get somebody. Don't just try to follow along on a YouTube video. There's a technique to kettlebells. And if you don't know it, you can fuck up your back. You can fuck up everything. So just spend the money on like one or two coaching sessions with somebody who knows how to do it. And then the kettlebell does cardio. It's all your strength, all your core. Like it's super phenomenal. If you could only do one thing, kettlebell swings could be 
yes. top of the list. I have a kettlebell program that I made particularly with core and pelvic floor and like postpartum in mind. It's called kettlebells for cool kids and it's set to nineties hip hop. And we are playlist. in. <laughs> Oh. Say no more. <laughs> it's it's fun. It's he's, you don't need to know anything. It teaches you everything that you need, all the way to the fancy like snatches and Turkish getups and everything. It's old school. It's like literally PDFs, and they send you to Vimeo videos. But I find it works really well, and people love it, and they learn a lot. So you can check that out. You know, oh, awesome. All right, and where can we find you? Okay, so Sarah Smith Strength and then I'm Sarah Smith Strength anywhere Pinterest. Instagram. I'm not really on Facebook either. And then I also have a podcast called Dirty Strength Radio. So you can come and learn about kettlebells and pelvic floor health and just basically doing the dirty work to have physical and spiritual strength in the modern world. We have a lot of cool stuff on there. You should come on and talk about potty training. I'd love that. I'm gonna. Right, it's cool. the same thing too. It's the overwhelm of information. I literally get people who have five-year-olds. They're like, I was researching so long that I forgot to potty train. Like, I was like, dude, you got to let go of too much information. <laughs> I think the thing is too, is just finding somebody that you like and you, you like the sound, you know what I mean? Like my audience would just love your style. Like the cut of somebody's jib is everything. It's just yeah, like, yeah. you tell me what to do. Cause I like you. <laughs> Literally, I have people yeah. who have like babies and they're like, could you be like my grandmother? Cause <laughs> they'll pay me to be like an ongoing. Cause they're like, I just need, I want, I'll listen to you. You know, well, I think don't I don't have that sense. anymore. I'm, just, I, I'm real I, world. Yeah. And I think people want that. I think we used to have that. We used to be more connected and our, our parents and women of wisdom had knowledge and experience, you know, in our communities. We don't have that. Moms are trying to figure it all out by themselves. So yeah, I could totally see how people are like, can I just pay you to be like a pillar in my life? You know what happened? I think, I really think a lot about this. I think the boomers fucked it up. So like, if we could have a village with our grandmothers, I bet that would be awesome. But then the boomers fucked it up and then we went and got therapy and we learned how they fucked us up and then we're committed to not fucking up our kids. So then what happened is we had to go, no, you're not my village. I'm not going to listen to you because you made me get therapy. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So it got all twisted. That generation is super obsessed with mainstream medicine. And, you know, there's good parts of that, but there's a lot of lacking, like not a lot of preventative health care, not a lot of getting to our roots, ancestral wisdom type stuff, too. So I think I see a lot of people getting back to that. Like you're saying what their great grandmother or grandmother would have done. That's what we're doing now. <laughs> yeah. Trying to convince my mom about her autoimmune stuff and she uses Febreze and yeah. I can't believe it's not butter. And I'm like, ma. I know they, oh, they, they think we're crazy. They're like, what? Like, yeah, yeah. Right. There's my mom. You can't believe everything you read on the internet, Jamie. Oh, Sarah, thank you so much. This was awesome. So, so much. And just give me a holler and I'll, I'll be on dirty strength radio anytime. Okay. That's so awesome. Thanks for having me. All right. Rock on sister. Bye. Okay, bye. okay. Bye everyone. Just a reminder, if you need additional resources, I have, oh crap, potty training. I have Oh crap, I have a toddler. Those books are available everywhere you want to find a book. (laughs) You can also go to my website, jamieglowacki.com, where you can book private sessions with me, buy any of my courses. Those are really geared towards potty training help. And also I'm on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook anymore and I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, jamie.glowacki, and I do a lot of lives and uh, usually posting a lot of good information. So those are extra resources for you. And as always, rock on. Have an awesome day.